Well, 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 welcome to the Purple Stuff Podcast. Starring Jay from the Sexy Armpit and Matt from Dinosaur Dracula. Damn, do you know what episode number this is, Matt? It's 25. It's a milestone. 25? 25 episodes. Oh, my God. I can't believe it. You know, 25 episodes is a lot. That's almost a full day's worth of Purple Stuff podcast. <laughs> I can't believe we made it this far. Yeah, I didn't think we would, to be honest. A lot of people have been asking me, are we going to do anything special? And I'm like, well, it's just the 25th show. It's not like a huge monumental episode. Right. And plus, like, who wants that kind of fucking pressure? I'm going to have to go through this every time we hit a 25 episode milestone. No. (laughs) No. And they're going to want incrementally more each time. It's your 50th episode. It's got to be twice as good as the 25th. Do you have a special memory from out of the 25 episodes? Like one that sticks out in your mind? (sighs) Hmm. I like the one where we did these spooky songs, or I guess the two that we did those. You like that one? Yeah. Well, because yeah. I like the music. It's not so much what we say. It's like, I can, you know, take or leave everything we're talking about, but I get to hear <laughs> Freddy Krueger singing in there. <laughs> I think probably one of the best memories is <laughs> you said something to me one time. <laughs> it was a few episodes ago. Sometimes you say things and not a lot of people catch the little nuances but (laughs) you said something about uh making something into a doll when it really wasn't that sort of thing what was that do you remember that something into a oh it was (laughs) yeah it was i said i believe i was what the fuck was it yeah you could call it a baseball game but if you're (laughs) if you're not into baseball then it's just a waste of time what the fuck did i say i don't god fucking no it's like and the worst thing is I listen to these before I put them up. I'm like, how that made Final okay. Cut. I was talking about Slimer from the uh, real Ghostbusters line. You kind of <laughs> refer to it. Like, I'm like, well, it's, it's almost, you know, it's like almost a plush toy, you know? And <laughs> that that has to be one of my favorite parts of all of our shows because I could not contain myself. Well, thank you, Jay. I appreciate that. Yeah. I had to pick one of my favorite Jay moments. <laughs> it's probably still going to be the Trap Jaw story. Really? Yeah, I love that story. Wow, it's so basic. It's not. It's not. The idea that uh, you're going to send Trap Jaw with his little loop head down uh, four flights of stairs (laughs) on Bakery Twine. You honestly did like that story a lot because you brought over Bakery Twine. uh, I told you to save it when I brought over the the, the pastries. Like, don't throw away that Bakery Twine. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm sure we're going to beat all these stories tonight on the Purple Stuff Podcast, episode 25 where we're going to be talking about a year. Do you remember we did the 1986 episode? Uh, I do. I recall. 
we discussed ideas about the year that we were going to do for tonight's show. And I was like, why are we going to just go chronologically? That makes way too much sense. It's boring. It's boring chronologic. Yeah. People would just guess like, oh, you're going to do 1987. Yeah. And then they'll just go on Wikipedia and just look at the same list of shit that happened. The same ones that we look at. Yeah. I bet you're going to cover this, this, and that. (laughs) Yeah. Fuck you too, Charlie. (laughs) So we decided to do... 1992. A big year for both of us. It seemed like a big year. But then when you really come down to it, you're like, hmm, is this a, could we even do a show on this? And I kind of had a difficult time at first, but then I realized that this is a crazy good year and there's so much good shit to talk about. The world was changing and so were we. Our voices were cracking, (laughs) the hair was sprouting, and the world was getting more mature. 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 I could definitely uh, agree with that. So we have like a very intense reaction to even the most bullshitty thing that happened in 1992 because our hormones were all pubescent. Yeah, and I would say like when I was that age, I was still acting like I was seven. So, (laughs) oh, please. I was like 25 before I could even like leave the house without a chaperone. (laughs) So I'm with you there. But at the same time, I just, when I look back at these things, these things that seem pretty trivial, Mm -hmm. I'm like, wow, I had insanely visceral reactions to all of this nonsense. As I look at the things that I'm about to bring up, it's amazing how ingrained these things are. So we'll get into them as we usually do, but I'm going to task you to start this. Yeah, I figured that was coming after the last time I knew it was going to get away with it again. Number one. So the first Mortal Kombat arcade game came out in October of 1992. Yes. Oh, God, that was a massive deal back then. Huge. It was huge. 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 Wild violence. Just made it immediately controversial and, like, so popular. Yeah, parents hated it. Yeah, there were, like, news reports about it. Like, oh, oh, there's there's a Satan on your kid's neighborhood corner. <laughs> it's raided. Yeah, you can't. You can't go in. You can't go into the arcades because there's going to be too much gore. But of course, all of that controversy just made us more interested in it. And by and large, like the parents that they gather for these TV newsreel kind of moments, they're not everyday parents. Most parents just don't care. Yeah. Like, like you think, like, did your parents really stop their lives to keep you away from Mortal Kombat? My parents had no idea what I was doing half the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Jesus Christ, you got to pick your spots, you know? Yeah, like, exactly. you're really going to make a big deal over this? <laughs> if you could keep your kid quiet for two hours, let him do whatever yeah, the hell. Like, <laughs> hey, hey, mom, here's the situation. I want to go leave the house and leave you alone for like five hours, and it's only going to cost you a couple of quarters. Yeah. Uh, no, that game's too violent. <laughs> Stay here with me. <laughs> so, when did you first get into this? Was it the home console or the arcade? Well, this memory is all about the arcade game. I think the like home versions didn't come out until '93. Oh, okay. Now, the reason I bring it up is not even so much because of the game itself. It's just the fact that it was everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, this wasn't, like, limited to arcades and bowling alleys. You would find this at the delis up the street. Yeah. So, for me, like, that game was like a geeky hub of social activity. Oh, Like, my I could God, just yeah. go up into town. There'd be, like, ten kids that I didn't really know, but, like, 
kind of had the same interest as me. Mm-hmm. And we just stand there bullshitting around this game for hours. Oh, yeah. And video games were always good for that. But this really did define that era totally. Right. And the fact that it wasn't like you had to make a big trip because those games really were everywhere. Like, I don't know what it was like by you, but there were three stores within walking distance that had them for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a grabber. You know, it's like, oh, you know, that store's got Mortal Kombat. It's yeah, like, that was like, a huge deal. Yeah. It's like literally like the, the only other thing in the store would be like bagels. <laughs> and they'll still have a Mortal Kombat machine. <laughs> and I just love the camaraderie. I know exactly what you mean. And what's funny about Mortal Kombat is that a lot of people might forget this, but how huge like the commercial had like that big impact. Of course, like we're talking about the arcade game, but just Mortal Kombat in general, yeah. when you would scream out Mortal Kombat, you know, I'd be at concerts and like everything would go quiet before the band went on and like people would yell out Mortal Kombat for no reason. Oh, it's the best. I <laughs> wish it didn't die out. People should still be doing that. I will say that the arcade game for me, I kind of got alienated a little bit from Mortal Kombat because, you know, I'm not the best at uh, arcade games. Yeah. I, was bet- I was better at home games, but it was more of a complicated game because I used to play Street Fighter a lot, like Street Fighter 2. Right. And and I had a great time playing those big arcade games. But when it came to Mortal Kombat, it got a little bit more involved in terms of combos and things like that. It was like learning a new language to figure out that game in arcades. And I wasn't good at it either. Mm-hmm. Like but I it was fun much I, yeah but i just like watching other people do it because it was yeah. so violent it wasn't like you could even see stuff like that on television at home yeah they'd be pulling people's throat out and guts out right right it was great <laughs> yeah and i love the cosplay for mortal Kombat. all the female characters and the the poor schmucks who attempt goro yeah <laughs> i shouldn't call them that because honestly like uh, i don't care how bad the cosplay is yeah if you do goro you're a plus oh yeah I think it's always cool. It's always a good move to do uh, a character from that game. I'm guessing you preferred ones like Sonya and uh, Katana. Katana, yeah. (laughs) What do you have for us? My first 1992 memory is... Number two. It's way. You know, I thought I had mono once for an entire year. Turned out I was just really bored. It's Garth. In a movie. Hi, Wayne. Wayne's World, rated PG-13. Now playing at theaters everywhere. It's Wayne's World. Wayne's World. Party time. Excellent. (laughs) Uh, Wayne's World, the movie, is one of my first uh, big memories that comes to mind when we're talking about 1992. Of course, it was a sketch from Saturday Night Live that started a few years previous to that, but it became so popular that they decided to make an actual film. It was the first SNL movie uh, to come around since the Blues Brothers, which was like, a, that was a big deal back then. Because, you know, after Wayne's World was popular, then you started seeing an influx of SNL movies, you know? Right, because it was so crazy popular. Tra- yeah. Actually, like, transcended SNL fame for sure. Exactly, yeah. Because after that, you would see, like, It's Pat and Night at the Roxbury. And there were so many different movies based off SNL characters. <laughs> but, <laughs> but so Wayne's World was really, really huge for me. And I always enjoyed that sketch because it was two guys in Illinois who it was Mike Myers and Dana Carvey who wanted to do a uh, cable access show. Yeah. And they uh, ran it out of their basement. With the wood paneling just like we had. Exactly. It totally was like 
it was like my life because <laughs> that's what I used to do. I had in the den, I had all wood paneling and we used my giant camcorder and we used to record ourselves. Right. Yes, <laughs> it was so like did watch, I. Yeah. It was like watching ourselves, you know, to think how the movie like got into our pop culture is crazy because one thing I was reading when we were looking up stuff for the show is that the scene where they're driving in the AMC Pacer and they use that in like the trailer and yeah, yeah. yeah they're, they're singing uh, Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. And what was crazy is that that song uh, became more popular because of Wayne's World than it ever was when it was originally released. That oh, was a killer scene. And that's, I mean, I can completely see why because kids our age were suddenly like, just singing that mm -hmm. out loud on the streets. Yeah, and headbanging and stuff, you right. know? Like, I remember singing that literally while my friends were playing wiffle ball. Yeah. Like, we would just each take a line. And this yeah. was just fucking wiffle ball. Yeah. And then I was also reading that Mike Myers and Dana Carvey had, like, neck problems because they were headbanging so much. And that they were, like, really getting cranky because they didn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> 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 but I used to do it all the time. And... Coincidentally, now that you know that song's becoming popular again because of the Suicide Squad trailer, so I think yeah. it's funny how that that really did uh, define that song. But can uh, I tell you something about that song? Yeah, I just read this this article had like a bunch of Wayne's World facts. Mm -hmm. That originally wasn't going to be the song. It was. Oh right. Yeah, I think the was... producer, the director, somebody that wasn't Mike Myers convinced yeah. him. Like had to really work to convince. It was supposed him. to be Guns and Roses or something. Right? I think so. Right, it was Guns and Roses. Can you imagine? I think they made the right choice. I, as much as I like both bands, I think Queen was the right choice. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, these guys just really defined it all for me. And, and this movie was so cool to the point where, like, even Alice Cooper performs in the movie. So I'm like, how more perfect could this be, you know? <laughs> yes, and he picked a great song that's totally a part of my Halloween celebration now. Yep, Feed My Frankenstein. Yeah. And that's the scene where, you know, they drop to their knees saying we're not worthy. And right. the lines and the quotes, you can't get better. So Wayne's World is one of my favorite 1992 memories. And and of course, the sequels even may even, you know, outweigh it a little bit. But still. Really? Yeah, yeah. I don't it, know that I agree with that one. A little bit. Slightly. Slightly. Uh, yeah, okay. Wayne stock? I, I mean, I just feel like, not that, I mean, I like the second one. The second one's just sort of like this fun, ridiculous movie. Mm -hmm. But the original is just so perfect. Yeah, it is. It is perfect. And like, what you know, Garth drinks jelly out of the donut with a straw. <laughs> yes. Oh, and he makes those little donut creatures. And yes. then he drinks that giant blue drink. Yeah. He had like the best parts. Like, ah. Oh. I'm still obsessed with that character all because of that movie. Yeah, and I, I love the line, uh, marriage is punishment for shoplifting in some countries. Yes. <laughs> so, Wayne's World, zang. Good pick. Thanks. What do you have for us next, Matt? <sighs> this. Number three. As you know, I am a big Kool-Aid fan. You are. You're one of the biggest. Uh-huh. It's uh, kind of unhealthy. <laughs> uh, back in 1992, the world got its first look at an all-new Kool-Aid flavor, and it was a big one. It was the Great Blue Dini. Oh, yeah. Sort of this, like, deeply sweet fruit punch, but the taste was almost, like, irrelevant. You really mm -hmm. were in it for that presentation. 
Yeah, and and they could do no wrong at the time, man. <laughs> they were just coming out with great stuff. Yeah, I mean, this was just the last in a long string of character-based mm-hmm. Kool-Aids. You had mm-hmm. Purple Saurus and Sharkleberry, and now you had a fucking magician octopus. <laughs> like, talk about, like, you know what? I'm going all in on this bet. <laughs> Like, keep in mind, they still they got a fucking walking, talking pitcher already taking care of business for this brand. And now you have a magician octopus. Is that enough? Apparently not, because not only did it have this octopus, the Kool-Aid changed colors. The mix was like this emerald green. But then when you put water with it, it turns into this like, like a windshield wiper fluid blue. Yeah. It's like. Holy shit, has there ever been more thought and effort put into one single Kool-Aid flavor? And anything that changed colors when we were kids was like, oh, that's an immediate buy. Oh, yeah, like, how the fuck did they do that? How the yeah. fuck did they, I mean, 39 cents for this magic? Are you, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> but it was delicious, though, I have to say. It was one of the better ones. I, I mean, I don't think it was one of my favorites. And if, if I'm being honest, the fact that it was blue meant more to me than anything it tasted like. Yeah, that was the real grabber. Yeah, blue stuff. Yes. Like a Star Trek wine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So it came and went in the 90s, and then it just was like completely gone. And then it came back in 2014. It did. They they released a lot of those characters. Right. I don't know if they're still making them, but you can find them pretty easily. Mm -hmm. And I strongly suggest that you do, because these things are cheap, and it's like, if you could get one little slice of joy in life... For that low price, <laughs> take it. So there's two things that I could think of with this is that number one, you're probably going to get a tattoo of the great Blue Dini oh, at yes, some point. I was just about to say that, actually. <laughs> the great Blue Dini, of course, will be my next tattoo. <laughs> and then maybe a Halloween costume of a uh, magician oh, octopus. Man, you thought those poor <laughs> schmucks who did Goro got trophies? Wait till they see me. <laughs> oh my god i'm so distracted now trying to picture like how to do all those blue tentacles <laughs> well great blue dini yeah was good i i don't know i don't know if it's my favorite i'd have to go through all the flavors to see what my favorite is but oh we we could have a whole yeah so that's we, a could whole, whole, we could do a whole show on yeah Kool-Aid flavors but i, I want to put you on the spot and find out which one is your favorite <laughs> that's what we're talking about yeah um, I uh, I might say, aside from the classic flavors, I mean, like cherry would be my favorite. But when you're talking about the uh, special versions, yes, probably Sharkleberry. Yeah, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's curious. I actually, I like Sharkleberry in concept, but I don't really like the way it tastes. Really? Well, it's got fucking bananas in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that is anathema to that's me. That's just not... That- just not for you huh no fuck like banana real bananas are bad enough when you go artificial with bananas you are a son of hades are you freaking kidding me like a a banana runt that's the one of the greatest pieces of candy known to man the only good use of a banana runt is an action figure accessory and everyone knows that (laughs) oh that's perfect i never thought of that yeah i mean like zartan eating like a banana yeah totally you're a genius thanks Number four. 
IRS and the Million Dollar Man obviously fired up for their collision in London. Coming up, we will hear from Hawk and Animal. There is only one way to experience all the excitement of SummerSlam. That is on pay-per-view. Make the call now to place your order. SummerSlam 1992. Oh, boy. And we did a whole show about wrestling, of course. But, uh. you know, I have an affinity for WWF wrestling from... 1984 to 1994 which is there's a lot of bad inside of that time frame and there's a lot of good obviously SummerSlam 92 amongst wrestling fans necessarily isn't like one of the greatest events ever but for me it definitely was monumental because it was a giant outdoor event in a stadium this was Wembley right this was Wembley Stadium right good old Wembley and it was a long time after WrestleMania 3, which was also in a stadium. And it was a long time before what they're doing now, where they have every WrestleMania right, right. in a big stadium. It was unusual to get such a large crowd. In fact, they had to go to England or wherever they were mm -hmm. to get a crowd to get that, that big. big crowd. Exactly. A big international crowd. This was like a foreshadowing of what was to come. And they weren't even at the top of their game at that time. So it was pretty cool to see such a big crowd. The crowd was hot. Didn't they use uh, British Bulldog as the big draw? Yeah, British Bulldog, he got put into the main event and with his uh, protege, Lennox Lewis, the boxer at the time. <laughs> and that <laughs> heart for the Intercontinental Belt. And it was funny because they put that in the main event. Obviously, like you said, because of British Bulldog. Right. But the real main event was earlier in the card. Yeah, uh, when Undertaker <laughs> fought Kamala. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> but when Undertaker came out, he came out in a freaking hearse. Yeah, he, oh, this is when I was really, really obsessed with Undertaker. Yeah, I mean, so it was, was like I was like, oh, oh, so pumped full of adrenaline for this appearance. Yeah, his entrance, oh, as if it's not amazing enough. He came in on a hearse with Paul Bearer and the caskets in the back, and it was just amazing, right? So that's one of the best parts of that event is the the entrance way is is like you know seventeen miles long and it's <sighs> like the whole event it's like, huge right didn't yeah. like fucking Legion of Doom come out in motorcycles come out in motorcycles Paul Ellering came out first with Rocco the the little dummy he <laughs> I just watched this on YouTube I'm like oh my god Rocco just ruined what would have been the coolest entrance oh, ever. I, I love that. It makes it so awesome. Anytime there's a dummy coming out, a ventriloquist dummy, yeah. like, you know, 60 or 70% of the pay-per-view, in my calculations, were of the entrances. Right, and, like, they're getting winded by the time they get to the ring because yeah. it's just, like, it's a fucking walk. Yeah, it was, it's a trek, yeah. Yeah. But it was, like, one of those events that always, you know, reminds me of being a kid, and there was so much cool stuff, like Rowdy Rowdy Piper came out to play the bagpipes. <laughs> He did. Tatanka fought Berserker, but it got cut from the U.S. pay-per-view, and I was really upset about that because... I think it, all of America was. I was going to say, believe it or not, I was a big Tatanka fan at the time. <laughs> Who wasn't? My favorite memory of the entire show was Shawn Michaels versus Rick Martel. One of the reasons for that is because Shawn Michaels was my favorite. He would come down the ring with Sensational Sherry, and she was holding a giant mirror. Right. So he could, like, look at himself in the, in the ring, and he was just a cocky SOB. And it was just so cool because they had this kind of like dynamic where Rick Martel was kind of winking at her on the shows yeah. and trying to get Sherry was torn between the two wrestlers. That caused a beef between Shawn Michaels and Rick Martel. Yep. A beef. A beef. In <laughs> wrestling terms, a well, I guess in everyone's terms, forget that. Yeah. <laughs> they they know what a beef is. Uh, I guess you're I guess you're not going with what I was <laughs> 
what I was throwing out there. What were you throwing at me? <laughs> Brutus. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> I blew it. I Brutus. Number five. One movie shines above the rest this summer. Batman Returns. Better than the first. One of the most creative and absolutely riveting films I've ever seen. Joel Siegel, Good Morning America. Batman Returns. Rated PG-13. Okay, I'm almost hesitant to even mention this one because we could have done a whole show about it. Mm -hmm. Batman Returns, Jay. Oh, yeah. Batman fucking returns. You know how I feel about that. I'm with you. Uh, the sequel to 1989's Batman came out in June of 92. And I can say with 100% sincerity that it's my favorite Batman thing ever. You and I always uh, talk about it. You're, I know you're a huge fan of it. So this so is so bleak and so yeah. black and so risky. I mean, it's still after even after all these years, I'm amazed that so many powerful people okayed a movie that looks like it was made to intentionally be polarizing. Yeah, it's it was, so weird. It's true. It, it, at the time, it really was because this is another thing. Like we were talking about Mortal Kombat, where parents were getting outraged. Like literally, parents were saying to their kids, "You can't see this because the penguin is too scary." Right. That was. I mean, that was definitely an aspect of the reaction. But just in general, even it seemed like more people were confused than amused. You know, I mean, there's oh, a scene where absolutely. Catwoman and Penguin try to pull rank on each other by eating the other one's pet. I know. Like, you have Catwoman trying to literally eat a live bird. Yeah. The core plot involves the systematic murder of all of Gotham City's firstborn sons. <laughs> it's so bizarre. It's true. But it's I got to tell you, like, I watched that even, it was just a few nights ago. It was on sci-fi. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow, I didn't make this up when I was a kid. This is a great movie. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. And... God, there's so much stuff in that movie that gets overlooked that it just doesn't get talked about enough, you know? It's like one of the greatest things for me, and, and I've told you this before, I love how they got Christopher Walken in that movie to be Max Shrek. Oh, he's so good. I mean, I, I still feel to this day, I know he had a career before and he had high peaks after, mm -hmm. but I still feel like there's a really large contingent of which we're included that fell in love with him because of this movie. Oh, and this is what 100%. makes it makes us pay attention to everything Christopher Walken has done since. Yeah, and he just got and he always gets into his roles, but this he, he became Max Shrek. And as much as I love him in this, it's his son Chip who who really always bowled me over because the fact that they hired a guy to play basically a Christopher Walken impersonator. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and like. The guy puts on like a, a Christopher Walken accent in his two lines that he has. Yeah, he does. He does. He definitely has that Walken effect. But what's crazy is that the guy who played Chip eventually wound up playing Leatherface in two different Texas Chainsaw movies. Right. That's a pretty severe jump. <laughs> it's like there's a definite difference between those sorts of roles. Oh, yeah, totally. And Bert from the freaking Hogan family was in it. He was, you're right. Yep. He, he's he's, he's a guy who's got, yeah, he got yeah, his he... nose bitten off <laughs> in one of the greatest scenes. That's such a great scene. Oh. 
One of my favorite lines is in that scene when Penguin says, um, you're the hottest young person a role model could have. (laughs) (laughs) Man, then they're turning on the uh, the lights at the Christmas tree and they got that really hot girl. The ice princess. Yeah, the ice princess. (laughs) You you told me you were going to scare the ice princess. (laughs) Yeah, there's so many great lines in that film. Hi, Max. Remember me? I'm Fred's hand. Uh, like, I don't know how DeVito, I mean, I guess he's probably okay with it since he made a lot of money, but I don't know if he realizes what a genius performance this really was. Really was. And I used to get so upset uh, because they didn't do a more traditional penguin, you know, and it, it actually does bother me because I do feel like they didn't even need him to be gross like that. <laughs> but he did it so well. Yeah, you know, he did it so well. But like, I always felt like, um, and I, I might have brought this up, but like the action figure that came out for the Batman Returns line, it was basically a repaint of the Super Yeah, Pat- look, it was penguin. the old school, you know, fancy penguin. Yeah, it was just a black and red suit that they changed, they changed the colors. And now he said they could have easily done that and DeVito could have had very much the same demeanor and everything. He wouldn't be eating raw fish, you know, and being gross, but it would have been essentially the same type of movie. I don't think I want to roll those dice. I like what we got. (laughs) What's your favorite scene? Hmm. As much as it's Penguin's lines that stick with me and and it's Shrek scenes that I think are the coolest. Mm -hmm. I was watching the Catwoman freakout scene, you know, when she becomes Catwoman. Yes. And I don't know if we, the public, have given that scene enough credit for being the most amazing thing in the world that it is yeah she's so good in that scene she's she's so good in the whole she is but it's like i don't know how you make going mad seem so aspirational but tell me you didn't see that movie and want to pull the same fucking scheme (laughs) i mean maybe we wouldn't dress like sexy cats but something (laughs) we'd have some sort of animalistic costume and we'd go out and wreak havoc at night she whipped up that costume in no time, I'll tell you. Yeah, yeah. They could have used a few blur transitions in that sequence, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> Some time lapse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I will say, you know, I used to salivate over Selena Kyle, and there's that one scene where where she's dancing with Bruce at, like, you know, at that ball or whatever. And right. they got, like, Susie and the Banshees playing in the background, and that's it. They always have that one scene in all these superhero movies where, like, you know, the two main characters are like dressed up or and they're dancing. Right. It's almost <laughs> like a. It's a total prerequisite. What is with that? They are. Yeah. That scene's in every fucking superhero movie. But I love it because she looks amazingly hot in that scene. So I'm okay with it. But well, yeah, it was you- a good scene in general too. But it's like, yeah, you're right. It does pop up pretty often. I was popping up pretty often. <laughs> <laughs> But I'll tell you, though, about like you were saying about the Penguin, I mean, they really pushed the envelope. I mean, Penguin had a line where he's like, just the pussy I've been looking for. Yes, it was <laughs> like, this is oh what I'm God. saying when I say like intentionally polarizing, like how could the studio not realize that this was going to be trouble, <laughs> that there wasn't going to be a 100 percent positive reaction to this movie? Now, it's, it's certainly got an A plus for me. Well, it got I mean, I'll, I'll take a bullet for this movie. You, yeah, yeah. But most, but most of most people are probably a little bit more like, well, why did they decide to do it this way? You give it the A plus because Vincent Schiavelli's in it. <laughs> not, not you. Shrek. <laughs> what do you got coming up next? All right. My next pick for 1992 is... 
number six. What's up? Look! What's happening? Whoa! What's new? Batman! Batman's got a few surprises. Non-stop thrills and amazing adventures. <laughs> Don't miss a minute. Showtime. Of Batman the Animated Series weekday afternoons on Fox. Going with the Batman theme, I actually have one as well, and that is Batman the Animated Series. Oh, double batten. Yep. <laughs> More bat for your buck. Yeah. So Batman the Animated Series was this really stylish, uh, sort of uh, film noir, art deco type style animated series that debuted in 1992. And it was definitely inspired by not only the comic book stories of Batman, but also the 89 Batman and the 92, you know, Batman Returns film. And yet it was smarter than any of those things. It absolutely was. Like, I don't know what the fuck, what kind of great drugs they found before writing this show, but everybody should be taking them because, like, it's so good. Yeah. And, and it, ha it didn't need to be one one hundredth as good as it was. Yeah, you're trying to appeal to kids, you know, and you, you don't really need to make it anything spectacular, but they went above and beyond. So it's almost on the level of, like, if you're going to compare it to movies, um, you would say this is Oscar-worthy. Whereas some of the other Batman stuff that has come out would be merely MTV award. Right, award, right. Popcorn know? movies. <laughs> yeah, this is the real deal. The stories were called directly from the comic books. So it actually makes the animated series so much more of like canon. Like it's so much more of an official thing. Because when you look at some of the movies, the scripts were written with, you know, loose inspiration from the comics. But each episode of this animated series was, like, taken directly from comic books. I actually did not know that. Yeah, it was amazing. Because I used to watch the show as it aired and think to myself, oh, my God, that's issue whatever. You know, it's like, oh, man, it was so good for Batman fans. Right. To go with the inspiration of the Tim Burton films, they used uh, elements from the Danny Elfman theme to give yeah. it that, that mood, you know. And uh, one thing I do remember from watching Batman the Animated Series was in the beginning when they used to do the Fox Action Theater bumpers. Oh, fuck yes. Fuck yes. And I know you mentioned it recently. It's like, yeah. Like the guy who did the voiceover for that, he's like, and now Batman the Animated Series. Oh, my God. Are you I him? Love, I love that. Dead on. That's my idol. Oh, who the fuck are you? <laughs> I wish I could talk like that Do guy. it again. Now, Batman. The animated series. <laughs> Love that guy. <laughs> but like, yeah, so that has to be one of my favorite memories from 92 because I was so excited to see this because I picked up, it was like comics interview. It was this little like black and white magazine that I picked up at a comic store and it was like way before the cartoon came out. And I remember showing all my friends because they had a fold out in the middle with all the preview of the animated series, all black and white. But then they had like a color section of all the characters and how they would look. And we were like flipping out because right. we could not believe something this cool was going to be on TV. But what's funny is that everybody credits the first episode with being that it was like a primetime special uh, with Man Bat. It was called On Leather Wings. That's the first episode in the series order. But the one that aired first was The Cat and the Claw. And they actually premiered that on Saturday morning as like a preview to kids. Which one was that? That was with um, the Red Claw. But what happened was they decided the next night, it was like a Monday night, to show Batman the Animated Series Episode 1 at like 7 o'clock 
you know, on Sunday night. Oh, I'm sorry. I say Monday. It's a, it was Sunday night or something. It was like, showing a lot of faith in Batman. You know, we were like, oh my god, they were like appealing to adults too. You right. know, and they really did a great job with that show. And the toy line from Kenner was insane. It was one of the greatest toy lines from Kenner. Like Kenner could do no wrong as it is. But they came out with that line, and these figures look like they jumped out of the TV screen. Right, and it was so. It, I mean, the improvement over the '89 line from yeah. from Toy Biz oh God, was yeah. like phenomenal. Phenomenal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and even like the Penguin was sort of a mixture of classic Penguin and Batman Returns Penguin. So you know that they took a lot of inspiration from the uh, Tim Burton films, right? But what I loved about the the animated series is how it like the villains were almost never straight up one hundred percent bad. Mm-hmm. Like they all had those little moments of humanity. Yeah, there's so many different layers, you know. And Mark Hamill's voice as the Joker, <sighs> Kevin Conroy's voice as Batman. Like the voice acting was insane. The music, it just it looked beautiful, and it had so much impact on the DC universe because eventually they did a Superman animated series that went along with it. They did a Justice League series that kind of was in that same universe. And then later on, they did a Green Lantern uh, series, which was more recently, which was CGI. If you look at all those cartoons, they all were inspired and had impact from Batman the Animated Series. But none were nearly as good. But you know what else was debuting like a month later? And that was the X-Men Animated Series. Oh, that was a big one too, yep. But to put those together, Batman just animation wise crushed that show. Well, I love Batman that. was like I love the X Men show, but the animated series was beautiful to look at. Yeah, I mean X Men was more just like fun party times. Yeah, Batman was something you could be proud of. Yes, you could show your parents. They're like, "Wow, this is good." Well, the I other think- thing is too. It's like we were talking about how old we were during this time. I think we were both in junior high. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the tide's turning. You feel like you start having to act a little bit more adult. Yeah. So the animated series was like one of those last cartoons that you could really talk about publicly with your friends. It, it's true. Because people like, didn't give up on it. Like we, Disney Afternoon was like dead in the water by that point. Yeah. You know, you're not going to bring up fucking Goof Troop in December 3, you know what I'm saying? It's like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, you don't want to get punched that often. Well, I mean, I I have to say, I was still watching Rescue Rangers. <laughs> yeah. But you didn't talk about it is what I'm saying. Of course you watched it. But you didn't no, bring it up with your friends. Batman, you still did. It was it was allowable. It was you were, cool. You're absolutely right. And I remember the first few episodes, I actually, um, uh, again, I roped my father into watching the first few episodes. <laughs> yeah. Dad makes another yeah. appearance. Yeah. yeah. No, he really. Oh, God, who is this man? Can we get him on the show? <laughs> he has to come on. Oh, come on. Point. Can we can we make that our 50th special? <laughs> yes. Like, he loved them. He thought they were really, really good, especially because they kind of had that old style. It's like that 40s style to it, you know? Right. So, Batman, the animated series. Great pick. Thanks. This, that concludes the Batman portions of the show. We're never allowed to speak about Batman yeah. again. <laughs> <sighs> Here we go. Number seven. Welcome to Sightings. I'm Tim White. In a new investigation, we found that werewolves seem to be more than just fantasy. They could be victims of what's known as lycanthropy. Without warning, victims say that they're turned into raging animals. The cause? Well, some believe it's a mental illness. Others, that it's the result of demonic possession. 
So after a few one-off television specials the year prior, Sightings became a regular TV series in 1992. Did you watch the show? I did. It was almost impossible not to. Yeah. I mean, it was basically like a less finesse version of Unsolved Mysteries. But the key was that it dealt exclusively in shit like UFOs and cryptids and all kinds of supernatural stuff. Right. So, like, Unsolved Mysteries is one of my favorite shows ever, but we kind of view it through rose-tinted glasses. Mm-hmm. We forget about all those, like, really long Lost Love segments where you had to watch Betty from Missouri try to track <laughs> down her prom date from 1940. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's- so, like, <laughs> Sightings wasn't as well-made, but at least it knew where its bread was buttered. Yeah, it was like the schlocky cousin of Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, and like I love how in the, at least in the first season, I don't know if it evolved from there, they tried to like present it like it was like a regular news show. Mm-hmm. Like they would have the guy sitting in a news desk and they have a little inset window. It was like a current affair. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> this man believes he's a werewolf. Do you? <laughs> Watch this dramatization. Yeah. <laughs> but I, mean, I think in a larger sense, it just played into the fact, and I think you would say the same, that in like the early 90s, we were both so into UFOs and ghost monster shit. Oh my God. And we, we, we still are, but the thing is, like, now we're old and now we have the internet and now we can easily disprove all these cockamamie stories. But well, when you're. Speak we, for yourself. No. Well, it's like, it's like you, you know, you could go look up 100,000 things about why Loch Ness can't possibly be real. But back in the early 90s. Did like, you hear about that though? Wait, what? Did you hear about that? What, they, what happened? Did they find? Did they finally find my my darling Nessie? Yes. I've been praying for this every fucking night. I read an article that they found a prop from an old sci-fi movie or something, and it was of a, the Loch Ness monster in Loch Ness. Really? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, no, no. I'm, let's stick with this. I want to know more. I uh, know. That's all I got. Okay. <laughs> you can take that out. I just wanted to tell you. No, no. I'm excited. All right. But my point is that, like, when we were in, when we were kids in the 90s, like, we took this stuff, if not at face value, then at least pretty close to it. Yeah. If you were going to be home alone on a Friday night with nothing to do, it was better to be scared than bored. So I just fucking love shows like this. And Sightings was one of the best. It always comes on when you almost don't want it to because you know you're going to get creeped out. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's. For some reason, it's like exactly 3.37 in the morning, and yet it's just beginning then, as <laughs> yeah. if it's been summoned to your television by a fucking demon. <laughs> Tonight yeah, on Sightings. Yeah, you're, Everything's you're, scary. Yeah, you're half asleep, and you're like, oh, man, does this alien doesn't have to be as creepy looking as it is, you know? And they really, their aliens were way creepier than Unsolved Mysteries, I have to tell you. Because, like, they had such a i guess like less of a budget so their aliens were just like children wearing like puffy suits and stuff yeah but they would you know that would allow them to be much more animated so you would have like aliens looking through bedroom windows and shit like that yeah and it's the way they filmed the dramatizations to like because if you film it in such a way you know where like maybe the camera's blurring a little bit right so like a total really vaseline lens for every fucking shot exactly but you know it's funny. I was looking up sightings, and one of the things that uh, they bring up in the Wikipedia page is that there was a clothing line that was released in to promote the show, and the shirts had like ghosts and aliens and psychics. And it oh, was, really? Yeah, it would say sightings. Oh, like if anybody has like a sighting shirt, that'd be awesome. Oh my god, is there a catalog? Is there a catalog with the girl from Nightmare on Elm Street? Is there an action toy guide for this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
there also would be times when it was on like in the mid afternoon, you know, and you'd be sitting there eating lunch. Right. And then all of a sudden, you know, so that, that's you just you sit there and you realize you're like, OK, I really enjoyed this and it was creepy and very satisfying. But it's like, OK, I've been watching. I feel like there's an element where you really did throw like a half hour of your life away, you know? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know if I would say that. I mean, what's what do you got to lose? You're you're 12. It's fucking Saturday afternoon. What the hell else you got going on? But Put it on. Show me it. Show me the fucking Ogopogo. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. It was like a 50-50 thing. It's like, you know, it was guilty pleasures. Right. You know, which we've talked about. On yeah. Stuff. yeah. No, I'm with you because it was kind of like, it was so bootleg. Yeah. <laughs> that you knew you were watching garbage. Yeah. Like... At least Unsolved Mysteries try to carry the air of a nonfiction show. But, you know, shows like this, like especially sightings, some of the stuff that not only gave me weird dreams, but it eventually actually gave me the real craving and, and the lust to have something happen to me in my life that would be half as cool as these people were describing. Right. Like, I want to wake up and go in my backyard and see that there's an alien spaceship that crashed. Yeah, and why have all of these sightings stopped once everyone had phones that could take clear proof? <laughs> yeah. Why is there less now? Yeah. <laughs> Either they're smart aliens or something's fishy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, sightings. You know what's amazing about, uh, let me just throw this in there yeah. uh, before we end the sightings, is that the Sci-Fi Channel in 1992, that's when it premiered. Oh, that's right, it did. So, yeah, so, that you know, that's a, a big thing. That's when it was actually Sci-Fi. A lot of people might not even remember. They now spelled it different, and yeah. it was uh, much different programming at the time. Yeah, now if they came out with sightings, it would have to be like S-Y-T-I-N-G-S. <laughs> <laughs> And the host has to have, like, rainbow hair with a green stripe over a red base. <laughs> and they also must be named Caleb. This is Caleb with Sci-Fi, and you're watching Satings. Number seven. He's every girl's fantasy. I'm Pike. Hi. Hi. She's every vampire's nightmare. I'm the chosen one, and there are vampires? There's something going on around here, something real weird. But together, they're turning a prom from hell Stab him in the heart. into a dream come true. Christy Swanson and Luke Perry. Buffy, you're not like other girls. Buffy, the vampire slayer. Hey, Matt, does this sound familiar to you? Mm. All I want to do is graduate from high school, go to Europe, marry Christian Slater, and die. Oh, yeah, that's that's got to be that's got to be Buffy. It is. It's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes. And that was a huge movie for me. I know I've mentioned, you know, uh, in the past, you know, I'm, I really am a Buffy fan. But the film itself is really what I, I prefer. Of course, I love Sarah Michelle Gellar in the series and everything. But that was a little bit more serious. This was like a, an all-out horror comedy, which is right. one of my favorite types of movies, you know? So the summer of 1992, Buffy the Vampire Slayer starring Christy Swanson, who is so friggin' hot in this movie. You can't go wrong. Christy Swanson as a cheerleader, a valley girl in a horror comedy, busting vampires. It was just a perfect storm for me. You know what's great about Christy Swanson? Is that she's in all horror movies? No, it's that she will favorite any tweet that mentions her on Twitter. 
You know, you're right. And I think it's fucking awesome. It's like having a button to press for a, a minute amount of joy whenever I really need it. It's like, I'm just, you know what? I'm a little down. I'm going to mention Christy Swanson and she's going to interact with me a little bit. And she will. If I had that opportunity back then, man. Yeah. I don't know what I do, but yeah, I saw this, have great memories. Saw it when it first opened at the Cineplex Odeon movie theater at Menlo Park Mall, which coincidentally, four years later, I started working at, right? Yeah, because this movie inspired you. Yeah, and, and I need to be a bigger part of this business. Yeah, I needed to be in the filmmaking business. Yeah. yeah. So then I also saw Batman Returns there, coincidentally. But I told everyone after the movie was over, I, I literally told everyone I knew that, okay, this is my favorite movie of all time. And You, you know, do no, have a tendency to say that after every movie you see, just, <laughs> yeah. to, just to, you know, point that out. Nobody believed me because they're like, Buffy the Vampire's like, no one knew what it was. Well, uh, <laughs> I mean, I saw it in theaters. Yeah. I know what it was, and it was great. It was great. Pee Wee Herman. Yep. And uh, who was in it? Wasn't Dylan in it? Yeah, Dylan from 90210. It's like my Dreamcast. Dylan, Pee Wee, and Christy Swanson. Yeah. <laughs> what was great about Dylan being in it is that it, he was like so playing the opposite of what he was in 90210. He was that rebel without a cause, but in this, he's like the damsel in distress. Right. Well, <laughs> but, he had that written into his contract because he didn't want to be typecast. Yeah, he didn't, yeah he's like, I want to expand my horizon. Yeah, you yeah. Gotta, I want to play something different in Buffy. Yeah, don't cast me as Dylan. No, again. no. Man, I've, I've been doing Dylan for six years, man. <laughs> come on, give me, give me something I could chew. <laughs> But, so like, <laughs> so like Joss Whedon, uh, you know, the writer uh, and creator of Buffy, he's stated numerous times that he hates how the movie came out and it was nothing that it was nothing like how he originally wanted it, uh, which is why when you see the TV series, it's a lot different. It's a lot more serious. And uh, but it became something, you know, in post-production, I guess, that he didn't want it to be. Well, is it a little too lighthearted for him or? It was more of a farce, I think. It and was almost like an 80s movie spoof. That's exactly. It was like an 80s movie comedy. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, when the Buffy TV series finally came out, which I am a fan of, don't get me wrong. It's just that part of me was disappointed because it wasn't like that Valley Girl type send up uh, like the movie was, you know? Right. But what was cool, eventually, Dark Horse Comics eventually released a series called The Origin, and that was a Buffy series, which was based off of Joss Whedon's original script for... Oh, what really? And how does it differ? Yeah, it's like how he really wanted it to be. So apparently, like, he didn't like how they characterized uh, Donald Sutherland's part, like The Watcher, you know? Right. There's a lot of little uh, nuances that make it flow into the TV series a lot better. So if, if if there are fans listening who didn't like the movie, but they like the series, they can go to that comic series and it'll be like a prequel for them, you know? It'll blow their minds. Yeah. But I love Donald Sutherland and Rucker Howard in this because they're both like dead series. It's like they're both playing in Hammer films. Right. It goes past the point where you think they're just playing it straight and to the point where you think they aren't aware of the type of movie they're actually in yeah it's like it's like they didn't tell them yeah like this is a total this is gonna be a bomb nobody uh, told me there would be fucking pan flute score in this shit <laughs> but you know the greatest thing which i'll i'll leave you with is that none other than ben affleck was in this movie oh I, a, I didn't know that yeah basketball player number 10 uncredited <laughs> oh, that's something so batfleck yeah <laughs> wow that's a nice piece of trivia thank you Okay, what do you got next for 1992, Matt? Hmm. This. Number nine. 
is about to close the book on one of its legendary heroes. Jeannie Most reports, can it be true? Superman will die November 18th at the hands of a villain named Doomsday? Up in the sky, it's a bird! It's a plane! It's a corpse. Come mid-November, Superman will be flying, all right. To heaven, his ass will grace his casket. In 1992, we saw the end-all, be-all of gimmicky comic book events. The death of Superman. Oh, yeah, that's mm. a big one. Yes, this is a... Whew, I guess everyone that lived through it has a, an opinion, for sure. Mm. Uh, this was the comic, of course, that came in the sealed black bag with all those extras, like a memorial armband and all that shit. I remember that, yeah. yeah. and I think everyone in the country bought 10 issues, thinking <laughs> it was going to be, like, the wisest investment ever. Yeah, yeah you could uh, put your kids through college for that. I mean, I'm not even mentioning it so much for the story. It's just the hype that surrounded that issue. Like, the comic book industry was already white hot in the early 90s. Mm. And this was, like, it at its absolute peak, as far as I'm concerned. You know it was big when you're eating dinner and your parents have the news on and they're talking about Superman. Right. That You know it was big, you know, when it was on the news. It was, it was I mean, this was, I mentioned this sort of thing with the Mortal Kombat game, but this was even more so. Mm. Comic book stores were suddenly everywhere. Yeah. Like, I had four within walking distance. I mean, it was a long walk, but still within walking distance. Yeah. And it's like stores that had no business selling comic books suddenly had comic books because they were just so... Yeah, like the bagel hot. store. The bagel store had... The bagel store totally had a fucking comic book rack <laughs> and a Mortal Kombat machine. 1992 was a hot year. It's a great year. Yeah. It's, it's like, I want a bagel, Mortal Kombat, and a comic book. The whole schmear. The whole, with the whole schmear. And I know, I mean, especially older collectors hated this whole period because it was so based in gimmickry. Mm. But for me, it was awesome because collecting comics went from being like a hobby into being like a whole culture. It was a big deal back then. It was really a huge deal. And you're right about having so many options because now, yeah, like you said, walking to a comic store, I can't walk to a comic store, but back then... You're right. I had at least three or four comic stores around here that were like known statewide. Right. Yeah. And that was the other thing, too. It wasn't even so much. I mean, it was partially that you had so many stores. But if you go into a comic book store today, it's usually pretty muted, mm -hmm. understated, mm -hmm. not much going on. Back then, these were like so busy. Yeah. And there were like, there was so much action there. Yeah. Like there I used to just go, even if I had no money, just to like sort of browse for an hour. Because yeah. the energy in a comic book store in the early 90s was so amazing. There was tons of people around. Always, There was people talking, people talking about comics or talking about trading cards or gaming. There was tons of stuff going on. It was like so much fun. Yeah. And this was, uh, like I said, this was the era of the really gimmicky comic books where everything had like a holographic cover mm -hmm. or an exclusive trading card. Yeah. So some people blame Death of Superman for putting a bullet in that sort of comic craze back then. Mm. But I feel like that was just a product of his time. It really was. But like you said, it was like a crescendo on that because when we were kids, I remember when, when they killed off Robin and it was like a dial-in. You, you called up and you, All right. vote, you <laughs> voted. Vote to yeah. save or kill vote. Robin. And yeah. guess what people vote for? <laughs> kill yeah. Robin. Yeah. Wins in a landslide. Yeah, thumbs down. Yeah. <laughs> But like, <laughs> but that really started, that kicked off like a bunch of big events because I remember that was on the news. But at that time, it felt like it meant a little bit more because if you're watching the news and they're like, you know, uh, Robin died, you're like, you're thinking this is, this actually happened because the real life Robin died. Well, like if it happened in the comics at the time, it felt like that was the authority. Right. Okay. It wasn't like there's any other Robin, like that was Robin at the time. Mm-hmm. 
by the time we got to Death of Superman, they had already done several different big gimmicks that, like you said, holographic covers, 17 different covers that they have. So things have really escalated. Now they do these big events all the time and the gimmicks happen constantly. So they it really waters it down. Right. Back then, it, when it happened, it was, like, really a huge deal. People were, like, actually, like, did you hear Superman died? Like, it was a real guy. And <laughs> the way he died was so ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I, I like Doomsday, and I know that they've expanded on him quite mm-hmm. a bit. But I th- objectively, at the time, it was a little random, I would say. Yeah, yeah. It was anticlimactic a little bit. It was like, oh, really? This is it? I mean, it was, yeah. it was as good as having Superman die via, like, a tiger attack or something. <laughs> it's like he went to the zoo and the tigers got out and ate him. The end. <laughs> tiger. But, you know, it was funny. Back in 92 when this happened, uh, after I heard about that they were planning on doing it, I got my action figures and I set them up and I made a little <laughs> grave and everything. And it's funny because I, I took a snapshot, which is like it's an old timey term that people describe like a, a picture. Right. You know, nowadays they just say picture. But uh, back in 92, people would say like a snapshot. Do you so remember do you, that? You, yeah, I remember a snapshot. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, yeah, a Polaroid, a snapshot. Whatever. I say I Instagrammed it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you still have this photo? Yeah. Oh, oh definitely. God, can you put it up later? I, yeah. After. Yeah. When this, I'm definitely going to put this up on Instagram. Yeah. So that was. It's good times, and it's funny because uh, I don't I don't want to spoil it, but I think by this time it's already been a while now. So spoiler alert: uh, this inspired the finale of Batman versus Superman. I was gonna say it's a it's a timely mention because Batman versus Superman certainly borrowed some pretty substantial bits from this one issue. Yeah, you're absolutely right, for better or for worse, I guess. You know what? It's like a soap opera because you know people die, they come back. Sometimes yeah. they come back five minutes later. Sometimes they come back as four different people. <laughs> <laughs> is Superman a robot? <laughs> yeah, that was he's a, is he a young kid. Is he made of steel or you know electric? What the hell? Do you do you personally believe that any of these four will be Superman? <laughs> do you really think it's going to happen? Call this nine hundred line. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're up, Jay. My next memory from nineteen ninety two is. Number 10. Joe Pesci, Marissa Tomei. My biological clock is taken like this, and the way this case is going, I ain't never getting married. In the funniest comedy of the year. Do you two know each other? No, I hate him. My Cousin Vinny. My Cousin Vinny! Imagine you're a deer. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so My Cousin Vinny is one of my favorite movies ever and i couldn't not mention it i know i've already mentioned a couple movies already or at least no one. i'm with you this had to be brought i mean i think there are there's going to be a couple of people that think you're really stretching it to mention this movie yeah but i know better yeah this, this shit was huge and it was on cable constantly yeah it was a big movie especially like there's it goes back to like it's a very regional thing because they come from New York. Everybody in this movie's from New York, you know, then they go down south. So it's like a fish out of water type story where I'm going to pitch it to people who are like, what is he talking about? My cousin Vinny. So listen to this. OK. OK. So two New Yorkers, they're friends, two guys. One is the karate kid and his buddy is the voice of Donatello in the TMNT CGI movie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then they head down south. And they go into a convenience store to pick up some food, maybe some great Blue Dini, and they get framed for a murder that took place 
and they have to defend themselves in court. So the Karate Kid calls his Guido cousin, who happens to be a guy from Goodfellas, and he, he's the guy who's going to be their lawyer, right? Oh, can you so, believe it? Joe Pesci down Joe south? Pesci. Yeah, Joe Pesci and his girlfriend, who's Mona Lisa Vito, yep. um, while the judge is Herman Munster, and one of the witnesses is Rustin Parr from Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2. Oh my God, that's right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, and Marissa Tomei winds up being... The key witness to this case and her performance in the movie actually won her Best Supporting Actress uh, at the Academy Awards. Which to is the a, shock of everyone, yeah, but to the, the delight of us, us exactly. who knew that her yeah. dear speech made that movie what it was. Yeah, a poor little doe idea. <laughs> yeah, and like she plays this, you know, total New Yorker, and it's amazing because like her character defines. Like, I am so in love with her character from this movie. I could watch it totally over perfect. And over again. Yeah, she's yep. like the perfect woman. <laughs> yeah. I knew her from watching A Different World when I was a kid. That's right. She was. And like, she was so young on that show. Now that I think about it. Yeah. But like, she melted my heart into butter in this movie. Into butter. Butter. And uh, yeah, Joe Pesci, Vincent LaGuardia Gambini, who's actually in real life a Jersey guy and he's been in so many movies like Raging Bull, Casino, right. Home Alone, Lethal Weapon 2. This movie is – if you've never seen it out there, you got to give it a shot. It's it's a funny movie. It really isn't – Well, the, the thing that was great is that it was like letting you have permission finally to like cheer and laugh at his character from Goodfellas. Yes. I mean, he's yes. basically playing the same guy, only this time he didn't kill anyone. It's such a good transition because – this was like a lighthearted comedy and it worked, you know, <laughs> but like the fact that like Marissa Tomei got the honor for an Oscar, it's right? Like, which is so random, a huge thing nowadays. They don't just give an Oscar to a comedy, but this is the real deal. Why I would definitely recommend for someone who hasn't watched it, definitely to watch it because it, it, it's a funny movie. Totally. And like I said earlier, like if you grew up when we did, this was like HBO's favorite fucking movie. So yeah. We got two hours to fill. My cousin Vinny, do you yes. really need to ask? Oh, I must have watched Put I it got, on four times in a row. Yes. I used to watch it on video when I got it, like over and over again. And, and I guess, you know, there's an element to it where I would say, you, yeah, maybe you have to kind of be from this area because a lot of people who are not from this area get kind of annoyed at like the accents and stuff like that. But if you could deal with that, <laughs> definitely watch it. Yeah. I think for everyone around here, it's like, ah, oh, there he is, my racist <laughs> uncle. <laughs> Yeah, and my hot cousin. <laughs> yeah, my uncomfortably hot cousin and my racist uncle. Yeah, <laughs> For, she's a fourth cousin, you know. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Good pick. Thanks. Coming up next is my last pick. Ooh, yeah, I hope it's Do a it. good one. Do it. Number eleven. My name is Doctor Spatzel. I am here to help you. Say whatever is in your mind freely. Our conversation will be kept in strict confidence. So, tell me about your problems. My last pick is Dr. Spizzo. You know, I have to say, you took me back when you said that because whew, that is a time warp. I yeah. can't hear this one. Dr. Spizzo from Creative Labs. Please enter your name now. <laughs> did you play this ridiculous game? I did, and the only way, I, if you didn't say it, I probably wouldn't even have remembered it, uh, because I remember at the time my sister's boyfriend showed me this, and it like literally blew my mind. 
it blew my mind and it changed my life. And <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. So for those who don't know Dr. Spade, so in fact, I actually did write an article about it many, many years ago. Yeah. It was this weird computer program slash game that kind of faked artificial intelligence. Mm. It was like a simple text screen and you would converse with Dr. Spatezo, who acted as your like indifferent psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. So you tell him your troubles and Dr. Spatezo would like rephrase your question as an answer. Yeah. Dr. Spatezo, I don't like broccoli. And he'd say like, does it please you to not like broccoli? <laughs> and you'd sit there for hours messing with this shit, thinking that you found a new friend. <laughs> And because uh, it spoke, it wasn't just like all text. Like when Dr. Spatezo's words came on screen, you heard them. Right. Hello, I am Dr. Spatezo. I am here to help you. <laughs> it was like the next evolution of the magic eight ball. Totally. It was like, mm. oh, I didn't have many friends in 1992, Jay. <laughs> I don't think that's going to surprise you. And like Dr. Spatezo for me, like I would sit there for six hours just desperately trying to elicit a raw emotional response yeah and then when i couldn't i would just curse at him until he gave me those spiteful parody errors <laughs> and this is when computers were still like kind of like a big deal to have right it was like it, 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 it were both a big deal and yet not very much fun for kids our age unless we were really into computers and i certainly wasn't yeah, like this had to... nothing on like a nintendo yeah but dr spade so just like the idea that i could go and just talk to somebody mm-hmm and say anything, I just suspended my disbelief, and Dr. Spatza was, like, the coolest motherfucker in my life. <laughs> so what are some of the things that you used to talk to Spate? Did you actually give him some of your your problems? I did. Like well, I mean, I think the most frequent question I ask is, will things get any better? <laughs> <laughs> and he would dance around, and not say yes, not say no, but I guess sort of give me a maybe, and that was enough hope. That was enough for you? Well, it had to be. I mean, it was either that or, you know, I was going to dive. <laughs> Didn't you feel like he was, like, very limited, though, because, like, he was giving you those short answers? And... He was a dick. I mean, yeah, in retrospect, he... he was a complete fucking tool. <laughs> like, Dr. Spacey, will you talk to me? Why else am I here? <laughs> but I could see him being a good listener. He was a great listener. But, I mean, it's like if you – it's like sometimes I would really be in a, in a moment, and I would need some solid advice. Yeah, and he just was not. He was not forthright with it. <laughs> it's so weird when you said that. I'm like, God, why do I know that? I totally remember that. Yeah, you did. I think you wrote like sixty five thousand words on this uh, Doctor Spade. Well, I mean, I, 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 I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> like, I really spent a lot of time with him. Yeah. Look, and I remember like the computer was downstairs, and it wasn't my bedroom. It wasn't even my computer. It was my brother's. Mm. But I would go in there and I would close the door because I would consider it like a real private chat and i remember from all those sitcoms that a psychiatrist didn't ever share what you talked about with him <laughs> so for me this was like my actual hourly session with dr spatezo <laughs> this real oh man i wish i could say it's been a better week doc <laughs> it reminds me of that the one tales from the dark side episode with mallory oh mookie and pookie or where it's it almost was. yeah it's almost like that in a way yeah only <laughs> i'm playing both mallory and the computer i guess <laughs> But it does, there is an element though, you know, you're going down to the basement, hopping on the computer, yes. got the door locked, you're like, this thing's going to turn into some demon in, a, in like about a month. <laughs> right, and just like the computer in that episode, I had 16 monitors and wires that went across the whole house, and for some reason I needed three printers. 
And, but when all else failed and I needed to move the computer, all I had to do was grab any one monitor and I was done. <laughs> but then all of a sudden, that one day you, you ask the wrong question and then like through under the door, you start to see like red smoke coming. Right, right. It was totally like the, the Johnny Cab moment in Total Recall. Yeah. Like, you think you're getting away with it because it's just like a robot or whatever. But they have a trick up their sleeve. Yeah, he's he's planning on taking you over. He's yep. gonna take your mind over. <laughs> That's what happened. You're, I think you are Doctor Spazzo. Well, it would explain a lot. It would certainly explain my level of mobility. <laughs> Number twelve. My last pick from 1992 is something that has stuck in my head ever since, and I consider it a work of art, and that is called Butt Bongo Fiesta. Oh, my God. And, and what that is, it's a VHS tape that came out from Howard Stern. Howard Stern, the king of all media, is a guy that I used to be pretty much obsessed with when I was a kid. And I was way too young to even probably listen to his show when I was a kid, but yeah, I did I anyway. No, nobody was uh, offended by it. Cause they knew I was totally into the whole radio thing. Right. So they were, they were okay with it, but I can't believe, I mean, it's like most people probably don't know what you're about to bring, what you're the roads you're about to go down, but I do, I know yeah. this, this video well, and I'm just like, I can't believe we're going here. So, yeah, I know it is uh, it's risk, risky territory. But, yeah, Howard used to push the envelope on the radio show and he used to do bits and sketches that were definitely offensive at times. And um, that's how he made it a name for himself. Well, uh, he's not I mean, offensive in their time, but by 2016 standards, like unbelievably offensive. Yes, exactly. Because actually, yeah, it, it didn't age like where you say, oh, well, that was you know, that's antiquated. No, like it's, it's pretty bad. Yeah. yeah. It's actually gotten much, it's much, much worse yeah, now. It's uh, the only way to describe it. Some of the stuff is like cringe worthy, you know, uh, but, <laughs> but this tape came out, what they had was a TV show at the time and they got out of the TV show and they started doing stuff for like home video because they could push the envelope more and do really crazy stuff on VHS and and give it directly to their fans. Yeah, for an extremely high price and make millions and millions of dollars. Exactly. So I used to go to the video store when this came out looking for this tape. And it was it came with 3D glasses. And it was like some crazy amount of money. It, was <laughs> it did like come with 3D glasses. Yeah. It's like $100 if you wanted to own it. I, so I used to rent it a lot. And this what this was was made up of like different sketches that were based off bits from the radio show. Uh, with the uh, main uh, crux of the show, the, the main gist of it was it was like a parody show called Butt Bongo Fiesta. And it, it was really ridiculous. <laughs> like to describe it. You know, Howard's like kind of doing this uh, character where he's, I can't even describe what he's doing. Yeah, there's but, so yeah. much that we can't even like actually yeah, it's safely very, describe. It's very offensive. Wasn't but he, there a scene where like they shrunk down and like were filmed live from inside a vagina? Yes, yes, they did do that in the beginning. Uh, they put on raincoats. and <laughs> Yeah, oh my God, it was just like. <laughs> there's good stuff on it and then there's a lot of stuff you're like, oh man. But so. The end of the show that you're waiting for is Babongo Fiesta because they've done this on the radio show. And what that is, in, in very simple terms, uh, butt bongoing is when you play bongos on a girl's butt. 
And you know, it's not. It sounds a little raunchy, but it's really good, clean fun. And yeah, it sounds like good, clean fun, and that it doesn't sound like. <laughs> why would anyone be offended over that? <laughs> but see, I just planned your Saturday night. Bum bum. Yes, trust me, you didn't. <laughs> so, <laughs> but like, what we what you used to put this stuff over when you watch this, and he's done other tapes, but in this one especially, like. You hear like his cast of cronies like Jackie the Joke Man and the Whack Pack. They're like laughing hysterically at everything he does, which just like puts it over. Big it time. was. It was weird yeah. almost because it was like a different kind of laugh than was ever on the radio show. Yeah. It was it almost was... like they were like the, the witches flying monkeys. <laughs> yeah. They were just there to cackle. Yeah. But like even more than that, like Robin, his uh, co-host. She just is such a good sport, and she plays along with everything so well. But that's what makes it even better because she, you know, in the back of her mind, she's just shaking her head, you know, and she's like, "This is completely ridiculous." Right, right. So, but the whole idea is that contestants go up, and you know, a girl kind of goes over their lap, and the and the guy plays bongos on their butt to music, and it's just really just it's a blast. It's a, <laughs> okay. I mean, all right, you know, taste differ. But I will say that back in the day, that was a huge tape. Yeah. Like, even my family had a copy, and it, I don't remember anyone being, like, a huge stern person. Yeah. It, and, yeah. But, like, you know, my parents went out, and I would put on that tape to see what the fuss was about. And I'd be like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I used to rent it so many times that I eventually just wound up rigging, you know, the two VCRs. How did you even rent it? We had a video store called Palmer Video. Oh, we had Palmer over yeah, here too. Yeah, we had a we had a Palmer Video, and it was two floors. It was gigantic. So was ours, right? and I fucking love Palmer Video. And we're gonna spend the next twenty minutes talking about it. <laughs> yeah, it was such a great place. But the there was like two young like teenage girls who worked there, and they thought I was the best because I was, and I thought they were super hot. So they used to give me posters and uh, free tapes and all kinds of stuff. And my mom was okay with whatever I rented because she knew that I wasn't gonna go blow stuff up or anything but that so, was like unrated it was unrated at best and probably maybe even an x it wasn't even like an r-rated thing right exactly i but can't believe you got away with that like for yeah. me just putting on that tape was dangerous like i had to make sure no one was around yeah but they knew i loved howard and they knew like even at a young age like i was i'm not exaggerating i was like eight years old listening to howard stern and uh, i would blast it throughout my house <laughs> <laughs> Like I would, Dad, my, hook the speakers up to the roof. Yeah, yeah. I would okay, turn, son. Everybody would be like outside in the backyard. I have Stern on, like in the morning. It was great. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. But Bongo Fiesta. So that was our 1992 Purple Stuff podcast. We've uh, definitely danced around some pretty severely different topics tonight. It's been a real crazy uh, mixed bag. Sightings, SummerSlam, Stern. <laughs> Selena Kyle. Selena Kyle. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a good one. 92 was kind of an oddball year. I mean, you know, we were... Um... I feel like I myself was in sort of like a state of... I was in like a state of flux. Mm -hmm. So... Like, it's just weird to me to, like, I look at 92 and I started to be into completely different things than I had been in before. Yeah. Like, it was starting to get, like, anything that had a little bit of an edge to it, be it Mortal Kombat or a Friday night show about Sasquatches <laughs> or Dr. Spazzo. <laughs> well, no, you're right, though, because, yeah, we're at that point in time when we're kind of getting older and... 
but see, for me, I was like still like I was still holding on to. <laughs> so the, well, the no, of course stuff. you were, and I was too. Because if you look over our list, they're all like sort of phony adult stuff. Yeah, I mean that Howard Stern tape was as much made for fifteen-year-olds <laughs> as anyone else. Come on. Yeah. No, totally. The humor was definitely yeah. for, for kids. Like he knew who he was uh, appealing to. There was obviously some stuff, like really huge stuff, that you know we we've talked about Crystal Pepsi on the show, and right. that came that came out in '92. Yeah, uh, the Cartoon Network premiered. Um, the first Goosebumps book came out. A lot of cool stuff happened in 1992. But I think what we came up with is is the stuff that really kind of survives because I guarantee you, there's people out there who still are obsessed with like Batman, the animated series and Wayne's world, Wayne's world, and, yeah, uh, Buffy yeah. and Dr. Spate. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically all your picks are still going strong. Well, right, which one of my picks do you think is, uh, you know, still stands the still test stands of time. the test of time. Okay. Let me, let me look at the, uh, the list again. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. I'll admit that it's a bit of a toss-up, but I'm going to go with Wayne's World. Really? Yeah, as much... I mean, the, the easy answer is the Batman cartoon. Mm -hmm. But I still feel like Wayne's World, even after all these years, is so good. Yeah. Wayne's World is classic. And, and you know what's still awesome is that they go back to SNL sometimes, and then they'll do like a Wayne's World sketch. Right. Kind of a reunion in a way, which right. is always really, really cool. And the thing that's great now when they do that is because you know how different they both are from those characters. Like, mm -hmm. especially Mike Myers, he's so not like I know this, this happy go lucky guy. I know, and in his his humor isn't the same either because he's you see his other films and they're very different. Like, yeah, Austin Powers is kind of similar, but you know, So I Married an Axe Murder is like completely different. Right. So, <laughs> oh man. What about from my list? Yeah, it's so tough because I know which ones it's not going to be. Well, I would definitely say Space Out. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you were thinking? Well, yeah, I guess so. I guess it's not going to be Doc Space So <laughs> Doc. Um, I I think I have to go with Batman Returns. Yeah, I would say yeah. so. But, you know, because the thing is, like I said, I saw it again recently, just a few days ago, and I was mostly blown away by how well it's held up. Yeah, because you know what, it, 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 it's so outlandish that it's almost like when you look at other Tim Burton movies, like the first Pee Wee movie, that it, it's so original and fresh, that'll be loved forever. Right. Got that same kind of appeal to it. So definitely I would go with Batman Returns and the amazing lines like when Catwoman is talking to the security guards. You're overpaid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, and then when she's talking to Batman and, and he says, eat floor, high fiver. Like, <laughs> come on, come on. That line, or if the movie has a weak moment, it's eat floor, high fiver. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> this has been the Purple Stuff Podcast. Episode 25. Yes. I am Jay from the Sexy Armpit. I'm Matt from Dinosaur Dracula. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
Thank you for listening to the Purple Purple Stuff Podcast. <laughs>